Lord's Prayer and Parable. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to play, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily breads. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who forget who sins for Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's great, Al. Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name's Johnny. I've come to the church for a number of years now, and special welcome, obviously, to um, Pete and Grace's uh, wider family, and for celebrating Kayla's dedication, or Thanksgiving. Um, really, really great to have you. Um, even as Elle was reading that uh, Lord's Prayer, I'm, we're so used to the slightly longer one that it took me a while to get, kind of, miss out, thy will be done, and deliver us from the evil one, and there's a reason for that. Um, when I say this well-known phrase to you, familiarity breeds contempt, what comes to mind? And don't look to the person next to you. Yeah. Ian? Yeah, the Lord's Prayer. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. Show of hands, just out of sheer interest, whether you're a visitor or you've come to the church or you're a Christian, who knows the Lord's Prayer here? Yeah, pretty much. We're quite familiar with this prayer, aren't we? Are we too familiar with it, or are we not familiar with it at all? This is going to be the crux of what I want to get to today. Um, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at this parable that Jesus uses to transform his disciples' attitudes um, using this model of prayer. And first of all, you need to know that Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples a new kind of prayer. It's a shock, isn't it? This is not like the prayer that no one else ever knew. I know. Some of you might be disappointed to hear that. And in fact, the Lord's Prayer had many crossovers with traditional Jewish prayers of the time. Um, you've got prayers like the Kaddish, uh, the Shemone Ezra, um, which they basically reflect much of the heart. Um, they've got, you know, Lord, your kingdom come. And they've even got in there, our Father, believe it or not. I'm going to let that simmer for a little bit because I just want to ruffle your feathers uh, with this. You've got to think, why would Jesus do this? And what's even more perplexing for the disciples that is leading up to his, this request is that he's already taught it to them. Earlier in Matthew uh, chapter 6, as earlier on in his ministry, he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he taught them about this prayer. And now he teaches them it again, but it's slightly shorter. And you think, why are you doing that? Well, Jesus is wanting to show the disciples that there is certainty in praying. Can everyone say, there is certainty in praying? 
Absolutely. Um, praying, it's not about unrelenting prayer, but it's more about a God who doesn't sleep. And he's given us a confidence today to pray with absolute certainty, boldness, and faith. So unlike the friend at midnight, we don't need to uh, be rude or even have like an uncertain panicky persistence. To really understand uh, the means by which this prayer is answered today and to be encouraged, to pray it in a refreshed way. That's like our big prayer here today. Jesus needed to give the disciples and us the following parable to emphasize and show us what we can't see or what we just tend to forget. All right, are you with me on this? It was great as I looked at this. It's really, really great. So um, next slide. As we look at the parable, um, oh, um, if you just go back. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me um, three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. and My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as he needs. So the first point here. Um, that you see in this parable is that uh, there's an unexpected need. The unexpected guest arrives. We love them, don't we? God shows that life has been set up to be unpredictable. Has anyone else experienced that? Yes. For Jesus' hearers, it is a big no-no to not have anything to give a guest on on arrival. You know, word would travel fast, and that family would kind of be shamed in in the community that um, people would be calling them the Billy No Breads. You know, there they are. They can't even put you know, a cup of tea on the table. Um, hospitality in the Middle East is still so important today. And they, they, when they read this, they totally get that drastic action would need to take place. In Britain, we hate unpredictability. And we thrive on controlling our circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For example... My wife went for a run and her phone got water damage. Unpredictable. Boom, 80 quid. Gone. Your boiler breaks. I know we always have that tussle with like boiler cover. That's 3,000 just like that. And I know people have just been like, we just had to fork it out. We don't know how we're going to pay for it. Unpredictable. Again, your family member um, needs help and you've got a busy schedule. You're overworked or you're in lack and you expect that things should get easier. But in reality, it's quite the opposite. We ask ourselves, God, why is this happening to us? And why is it happening to them? Why are you putting their needs for me to kind of see? It's unhelpful. How can we control it maybe? Or maybe we've got three choices. We either take control. We, either, we then either choose to just be in complete despair and run from it. I've done that a few times, actually. It's quite nice. Um, or, this is the hard one, trust God for the deficit. Now, Jesus wants us to see that the unexpected needs are to be met. Just think of, um, everyone knows the story of feeding the 5,000. So the disciples um, say, we need to send them away. The, all the people here, there's like thousands of them. They need to go and get food. What does Jesus say to them? You do it. That's a little bit unexpected because they've got no means to do it. This is what the crux of Jesus' prayer is. And it's a little bit scary. Things happen in life that we can't predict, but we still need to respond to them. God brings people to our attention, and most of the time, we don't have the means to help them. A good question to ask ourselves is this. Who might be my unexpected need right now? Who might be your unexpected need right now? 
When that is identified, and it takes time to think about that because we usually brush that aside because we can't do it. When that is identified, the more, or more appropriately, it identifies you because it will come knocking on your door. God doesn't want you or sometimes let you do it by yourself. So second point I want to bring up that the parable teaches us, prepare yourself for inconvenience. The key word to prepare yourself for inconvenience is midnight. Everyone say midnight for me. Now, um, we all know how much we love midnight. This is when the guest arrives. It's completely inconvenient. Just take a minute and picture the one person you know whom you'd not want to come visit you unannounced. I've got mine, actually. <laughs> you know, I see a few eyes rolling around the room, and you need to be a little bit more subtle than that. Um, why does Jesus paint this picture just to be such an unlikely picture of how to pray? Midnight, it describes God's use of timing. Hosting at midnight is an inconvenience to us all. It's helping, it's us putting ourselves out and helping over recovering through sleep and rest. I watched a, a movie uh, documentary um, recently, and it said that the one commodity that all rich people love more than, or all, uh, hold on. Uh, the one commodity that all rich people love more than anything is time. And they also hate it at the same time. Why? Because you can't buy more of it, and you can't control it. It is out of our hands. Jesus, the Lord of time, uses it to inconvenience us all. At some point, he will do that, but for the best possible reason. Take the focus off ourselves to look for someone else for the solution. Amen? Amen. So far, Jesus' parable shows us that God waits until your control guard is down, i.e., you've got no loaves at home. I've got um, very little to give people. I've got very little to offer. The coffee's ran out or the, the budget this week's quite tight for food, whatever it is. Before he puts an immediate need in front of you, you've got no resources of your own left and the, it's at the most inconvenient time for you. Why would God let something so seemingly cruel happen to his children? Not cool, God. Actually, this is God's greatest kindness to us all today. This is God's greatest kindness to us all today. I know it's countercultural. It reveals to us our insufficiency apart from him. So thirdly, we need, this parable reminds us to admit and accept our insufficiency. So it goes on to say, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on the journey, and I have nothing to set before him. I have nothing. Can you all say, I have nothing? I have nothing. These are the words that have admitted that they fail to meet others' needs and don't want to bear the consequences. I have nothing of the words we are told to say in our culture, or told not to say in our culture. We're encouraged to look at our strengths. We're encouraged to pride ourselves in our abilities, on our own well-earned resources, and we rarely stop to think for a minute that um, they were only ever possible because God graciously gave them to us to begin with. The man um, in the parable, he was forced to recognize and admit his inability to meet someone else's need. A loving prayer we could all even pray right now would be for God our Father to help us recognize our inability to meet everyone's needs. And Kayla's got two devoted parents here, and there's a great encouragement in this, and there's also a little bit of humbling happening. Um, they're limited in their ability to provide for all her needs. And the sooner they recognize that, 
guess who comes in? God comes in to fill in the deficit. And it's so releasing. But moving on to the focus of the passage, you know, Jesus talks about this being not about hospitality, but about prayer. Um, spiritually or relationally, the, the disciples and us, we've all been previously separated from God, um, a loving Father. And this is to such an extent that our broken connection with Him has resulted in broken connections with our society, the people around us, and even just creation itself. You just hear about um, climate change and you think, what's going to happen next? Fourth point from this parable, God is not like the neighbor. You'll be glad to know this, all right? The, the friend who was asleep is in my mind, he's doing that, you know that really loud uh, whisper you do when you're really annoyed with someone? You kind of just want to say, don't bother me, don't wake up the goods. Um, usually it's either myself or Hannah, my, uh, my wife, like saying that. Um, but I can just see him doing that. And you know immediately that we feel like God is like this when we have no resources and that we're being inconvenient to him. And if we're honest, it's easy to say God is good when the times are good. It's easy to say, God, you're awful and you're bad when the times are bad. Yeah. The problem with that attitude that Jesus is wanting to address is that it's, not just co- it's just not coherent with the Christian worldview. For God is not characterized by our feelings. He's not characterized by our experiences or our outcomes in life. Some of us here are going to have um, it quite easy in life. Some of us are not. Both of those people, both of those categories, still God is wanting them to see God in exactly the same light. He does not change. He is compassionate. He's gracious. He's a loving Father who wants to help us. If we go um, with how we feel and make the outcomes of our life a basis of God's character, we're not going to trust in God. We're going to trust in our version of Him and the way our feelings go, our preferences. Instead of basing Him on whom He is, we judge him how quickly and well he serves us. So do we really know who he is or what he's like from day to day? God puts it really succinctly in um, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, Malachi, and he says it in these four words. Malachi 3.6, I do not change. That's it. He just doesn't change. But Jesus uses this neighbor to highlight a really real fact. In our world, which is parable, this parable, it really reflects how we deal with each other. Everyone, honestly, on a Friday night when I get home, I want to do something. I don't know why me and my wife are calling this, but we're calling it monging or mong. I just want to mong. Uh, I know I think that's, gonna be, that's not going to last that long. I don't know where she got it from. <laughs> but on a Friday night, we don't want to have somebody knocking on the door because the, we- the, the week's over. I just want to rest. I'm shattered. Everyone wants to have minimal bother and be at peace with each other, even if it means appeasing the annoying friend being really friendly to them, who's knocking on our door, right? That is why Jesus says the only reason he gave his friend bread was not because he was his friend, that was not, didn't have anything to do with it, but because it would be an inconvenience to him if his own family woke up. When you look at this parable, everybody is inconvenienced in this parable, all right? So why did Jesus use a reluctant friend to encourage us in prayer? We can see this in a similar point he made a few sentences later. Um, and he says this, if you then, it should be on the board, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Can you say with me, how much more? Yeah, how much more is God a great parent or a great giver than you and me? What a day this is for Pete and Grace. 
because it's a real encouragement to you, right? We've all got our limits. You've all got your lack of sleep. I've heard a few, I've been eavesdropping in the conversations about uh, <laughs> lack of sleep that's happening. Kayla's pulling through, though. It's great. We have minor to major faults, even the most loving of us. And if any parent or student disagrees, just ask their spouse or someone who's very familiar with them. And the case is closed. Um, there. Jesus' point is our Heavenly Father is more inclined to give us good gifts than we evil fathers, by comparison, are inclined to give our children good gifts. Similarly, the friend's reluctance in the parable is not a reflection um, of our Heavenly Father. He's a contrast to our Heavenly Father, and God the Father is the center point of the Lord's Prayer for the disciples. Jesus is saying to them and us, do you know how God our Father wants to meet with you? Do you know how he wants to meet your most basic and deepest needs? It's prayer. Here is the beginner, the beginner model, and it's all you're ever going to need, disciples. It's all Mosaic Church. It's all everyone in this room is ever going to need. And he simplified it for us this time around as well to hit, to hit the point at home. But you know what? After I've gone through the parable, this hasn't hit home yet fully, and I don't think it should hit home fully for you too. I'm just thinking, what did it take for this prayer to hit home for these disciples just as much as it needs to for you and me today? Prayer is more than just asking. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, he says, it's having full assurance of things hoped for, having full assurance. And that's in the person of Jesus. And ironically, oh God, there, the disciples were sitting in front of their greatest assurance to their prayers, but at the time, they didn't quite know it. The greatest assurance for their prayers. Here's the key point. Jesus is the key to our confident assurance in prayer before God the Father. Jesus is the key to your um, prayers before God the Father. So how is he confident assurance that our prayers um, are answered? There's two points that, um, that I just want to apply to this really quickly. The first one is, Jesus alone had the claim of calling God Father. He alone had the claim. Whilst others wanted to, um, in the Old Testament, God said um, that the nation of Israel was his son. That was in Exodus uh, 44. David and Solomon were even referred to as sons, um, and God would be their father. Um, you've got that in there as well. But there was a problem, a fundamental problem. The sonship that God called them to, all to live up to, it was never fulfilled or lived up to. And that meant that God has never really actually had a human being he could truly call his son. The son is like the father. He is like him in every way. He loves what the father's about. He doesn't walk away from, from an obedience whatsoever. He enjoys what the father does. And this is why when Jesus, whom us Christians claim is God in human form, when he was baptized in Luke um, chapter 3, 22, God's spirit descended on him. And what did he say? You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There's the son that truly had the claim of calling God father right there. Amen. God finally found a human whom he could call a true son. A son who represented the father's character in every way. Jesus, the Son of God, has the only true claim to being a son and all the inheritance rights um, that his father would give him. But instead of Jesus taking this inheritance and saying to us all, 
guys, I've done really well. Keep praying really, really hard. Um, hope you make it through. I'll see you later. He doesn't do that. He decides to do something with his sole claim of sonship. He could hoard it to himself. What does he do? He doesn't do that. He shares it. There's a lot to do in that parable about Jesus seeing a need for us, and he shares what the Father has given him. We receive him as our great assurance for our prayers, our great confidence before God. And the second point is this. He is the cost and the means of everyone here calling God Father. So here's the cost. Jesus, although he could have kept sonship for himself as rightful heir to um, his father and the whole uh, world, the universe, everything, he was presented with a need. And the father saw it too. There's a need today in humanity that um, the everyday person sees as it comes to them completely unexpected. You go out to people outside, myself and two other guys, we went out to Horsforth and talked to people. And they see Jesus and becoming a child of God as a completely unexpected need. But some were open. Humanity needs to be reconciled to God. Instead, it has gone away from him. And don't get me wrong, God doesn't ignore the cries of the fatherless. I just think it's a a good side note to actually make. Um, He doesn't ignore the cries of the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the poor, the seeking sinner, even though they don't know him personally yet. And scripture, actually, I haven't got time for it, but it really does attest to that. If you're a Christian here today, another way of thinking of it is, um, how do you think he first heard you? But if a religious person today does pray, um, they pray relying on their own merit, their own level of piety. So for me to even come to Jesus and say, Lord, I'm trying to be really pious before you. Other religions do that as well. Um, To rely on... But however, for us, it's the merit, it's the sacrifice of God's perfect son. So what did Jesus do? On the day when he was being crucified, the people didn't hear Jesus refer to God as even father. Instead, he says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He didn't call God father. You need to realize, realize that he was forsaken, completely abandoned, and he became unfamiliar and completely unknown to his father because he took on all our sin. When the father saw him, all he saw was sin. He saw the worst possible disease in the world. But he did that so that you and me, everybody, could become completely familiar, completely close, and intimately acquainted with the father. He rose from death three days later as our eternal assurance and is guaranteed access to God's throne room to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's Hebrews 4.16. To wrap up this parable, it's hopefully shown you and me today that God is wanting us to be inconvenienced by him right now. God wants to be inconvenienced by you. Absolutely brilliant. Look at the lengths the Father and His Son have gone to demonstrate their love for us, that we would have such an assurance to pray with, um, faith as His children. He wants us to meet expected and unexpected needs through Him alone. So my real hope today is that our communities, our friends, our families, and even Kaleiscopes, that they would see the fruit of our prayer because we trust in the name, the authority of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So that's it over. However, 
it needs to be brought home. We need to bring this to earth. What's God been doing? I want to share um, just two suggestions. Dan Chadwick um, from South Gathering helped me with these two suggestions. Um, and it's really, really helpful. The first one um, to apply is caring for people through daily bread provision. Um, caring for people through daily bread provision and caring for people through prayers of petition. If we go to the next slide, sorry. Uh, the first one, caring for people through daily bread provision. You've got George Mueller. He ran orphanages in Bristol in the 1800s, and he serves as an example to us on how we meet the needs of others when we have nothing ourselves. And I find this story, and I just thought, this is absolutely brilliant, because this typified how he prayed. One morning, all the plates and the cups and the bowls, they were empty on the tables. There was no food in the larder and no money to buy food. The children were all standing, waiting for their morning meal, when George said to them, Children, you know we must be in time for school, of course. Then, lifting up his hands, he prayed, Dear Father, we thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. There was a knock at the door. The baker stood there and said, Mr. Muller, I couldn't sleep last night, and somehow I felt you didn't have bread for breakfast, and the Lord wanted me to send you some. So I got up at 2 a.m. and baked some fresh bread, and I've brought it. Mr. Muller thanked the baker, and no sooner had he left, when there was a second knock at the door, it was the milkman. He announced that his milk cart had broken down. I wonder who did that. I wonder who inconvenienced the milkman. It had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he would like to give the children his cans of fresh milk so he could empty his wagon and repair it. What I love about this is that um, George Mueller, he didn't know what they were going to eat, did he? He didn't have a clue. But he thanked God because he had an assurance in Christ that their needs would be met. That's amazing. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm there yet. That's brilliant because I know I'll be there the day that I'm in a completely inconvenience and I have nothing left. And then I pray like that. He understands Jesus' prayer is never to be about me, and he wants us today to be about us. Our street, our family, our workplace, our friends, neighbors. Give us our daily bread. It's so freeing. And God plans to go beyond us every time. The second one, caring through prayers of petition. Um, On the day when Jesus was being crucified. No, hold on. Sorry, that's wrong. It's the same page. Uh, This guy, Richard Foster, is he up there? Brilliant. It says, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession is a way of loving others. That's great. You've got Pete Gregg, who started up the 24-7 prayer. He tells in one of his books, How to Pray of a man uh, called, named Jonathan. I didn't pick it because he's got the same name as me. Just have a look. Um, who, on the day of the... Um, do you remember the attacks last year at Westminster Bridge? Uh, this guy, um, Jonathan, he sensed the danger so powerfully that he spent an hour pacing up and down the streets of Westminster Bridge um, and praying. Seven minutes after he stopped, Mr. Gregg uh, writes, the attack took place in the precise place where Jonathan had been praying. Now, we're never going to know for absolute certainty on this side of eternity what difference Jonathan's prayers made that day. But um, what we do know is that the attack on Westminster Bridge the previous year, it left 50 people injured and five dead. But this time around, uh, the incident didn't kill anyone. 
and it left three people with only minor injury, injuries. That's awesome. That's prayer. That's being certain of what um, God's going to do. Another story is, um, uh, that Pete Gregg talks about is of a father. I love this. This one's a bit daring. Don't pray for this at all. A father who found the mother of a baby in a large city uh, by asking God for directions at every street corner he came to until he found the mother. So you had this random stranger with a pram, pretty much, running around and God directing him to the mother who lost the baby. God can do amazing things. So, if you've got some time before the meeting, as a suggestion, you can ask God, what would he have you to pray for in the area? Then listen and pray. Jesus shows us that this is not about the person praying, but about the God, the Father, who is listening, and he's ready to be inconvenienced for the saving of the world to himself, for his glory. He is good, he's kind, he's able, and my gosh, he's given you Jesus, his son. Jesus is our example in prayer, no doubt, and yet, more importantly so, he's opened the door wide open through his sacrifice so that we could have an assurance that God the Father will pour out his heavenly resources when we ask. So, um, I've got two questions just to finish off um, to lead us just into a time of worship, reflection. Two questions. What would, you, what would God have you pray for that you've maybe discounted because of your own resources? What would God have you pray for that you've maybe discounted because of your own resources? And second of all, if that doesn't quite apply, what person, people, or circumstance would God possibly be moving you to start praying for now? Have we got time for one example? I think what we'll do is um, it'd be good for us just to reflect on that as we go into a time of worship. Um, as we have a full assurance of faith, it's a great time to pray when we have that. Um, could you, if you're able to, you're at the stand with me, and we're going to go back into a time of prayer. And I just want to share one more um, story. Um, I want to finish with a, a prayer or a poem um, by a lady called Annie J. Flint. I don't know if you've ever heard of Annie J. Flint at all. Um, she's an absolute inspiration. In, her sh in short, her life was marked by excruciating pain and suffering. Within five years of being a teacher, so she graduated, became a teacher, she was admitted with arthritis. Um, she was wheelchair-bound within those five years. Absolute crippling arthritis. Her fingers became gnarled. Um, for the rest of her life, she was an invalid, and she eventually went blind as well. But she had a gift for writing poetry. And she realized that when needs don't seem to be met, she found them met in Jesus. She wrote in her twisted fingers... Poetry to show people whom their greatest need was. God graciously gives us our needs every day, but it's pointing to what the greatest need is. Her work today has impacted just many people, and um, this poem here is almost like a prayer, which I hope I'll keep together with as I do. And it's um, entitled, He Giveth More Grace. He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplied peace. <clears throat> when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, ere the day is half done, 
when we reach to the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on this arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Amen.